Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding yourself out in the woods, but with a huge uh, gold uh, platinum credit card. Is there a Dick's Sporting Goods out here? Because, yeah, I need some food. We're, we're going to be talking about glamping big time. Gl- glamping. Okay. Glamour camping. Oh, oh yeah, my. glamping. That's the term. Yeah. I didn't know. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week we are talking about camping, uh, you know, whether it, you know, uh, and and or expedition travel using, you know, high tech solutions, um, because you know uh, we all know that you can just you know take a uh, a jar of peanut butter with you and a spoon and you and you're good for like a week, right? Okay. I mean, <laughs> food wise, maybe. Yeah. yeah it's it's, it's, it, it's gonna, your 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 uh, your bowels gonna get a little rough in about yeah. three days, three or four days. Yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna be happy at the end of that week. I tell you that. Yeah. But you're not going to die. Anyway. No, not from yeah. starvation. Yeah, cue exactly. the line from The Hangover. Yeah, okay. but did you die? Right. Okay, so uh, anyway, so we're going to go basically talk about camping uh, and, and traveling and things like that because lo- lots of games have it, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it, and it's always a good idea to use, you know, the solutions, you know, that you have, uh, you know, that are either, you know, that are available to you that are really good, if you can afford them, if they're available, and all the rest of that stuff. Because I don't know about you, but um, I find my players are incredibly unimaginative in this area. I mean, it's like literally you can have, you know, you, you, you can order any equipment you want and and do whatever you want as you go exploring these alien worlds and they're like okay well I want a, a I want a down sleeping bag and um, I want a, you know a tent and um, and, and and a raincoat and I think I'm good <laughs> or you know a backpack you know and I'm like really okay okay we're we, we, we are good. <laughs> Until, of course, the first encounter or the first night happens and they're like, but I, I'm an intelligent person. My, my character, you know, has a, you know, has a, uh, you know, the top, a top grade wilderness survival. Uh, I would have known to bring that. <laughs> oh, those conversations. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyways, it's uh, don't embarrass yourself and don't embarrass you. Don't force your GM to, to uh, tell you, no, you didn't do that because you didn't say you were doing that. You know, so is this is why I instituted the uh, equipment token uh, in my game, which is every session you get an equipment token, which allows you to say, hey, I didn't mention I had this, but I've had it all along <laughs> to, you know, but you only get one. So yeah. you, you can't go and say, I have a, uh, uh, a dump truck full of this. No, you have one of those or whatever some yeah. reasonably small number of them you know you or, have other games that have like the gadgeteer trade or whatever which pretty much does the same thing you get to just pull a random item out of your pocket so many times per session right well you but you still usually have to have the means of making them or whatever but so so anyways and, so john i've seen some that outright say if you could conceivably have made this in the past you brought it with you and you just haven't mentioned it yet <laughs> yeah well it's, yeah it's essentially what i'm doing you said yeah, more explicitly exactly. right so uh, okay so jonathan uh you claim to have made up a list of of all the subjects we need to go over so uh let's why don't you go ahead and tell our audience what you think is important to consider whenever you're doing camping uh, no high tech or otherwise right and and you will probably be able to uh, add or subtract from this list since you are the scout master extraordinaire of this group and i haven't been in scouts yeah for as most long of my as life. long as you don't <laughs> as long as long as you don't make me bring mean mr sheffer exactly yeah i knew that i knew that was coming on yeah 
I ain't so, been Cub Scouts in 45 years, so yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, the the priorities in a in a in, in a wilderness survival situation. So uh, I believe these are. I, I believe I've put them in order here. Uh, the first one being water. Uh, you need a source of drinkable water as soon as possible. Because uh, especially if you're in a hot uh, location, uh, you're going to need to be replenishing your fluids as soon as possible. Because you start getting de- dehydrated and you can do it fast in a hot climate. Your ability to function and think is just going to shoot down like a rock. So, uh, yes, I agree with you, Kitty. Um, so yeah, the first, the first priority is going to be water. Um, second is going to be shelter because you're going to want to get away from your, the elements. You're going to get away, want to get away from any potential, um, predators or scavengers. You're going to want to, uh, find some sort of shelter to, you know, keep you in the shade and also protect your supplies as you find them. Um, third priority would be fire, um, because it can provide you warmth in cold climates. It can provide you light so you don't lose your own campsite. And it also provide, you know, cooking for your food because not too many things out there we can eat raw at least well plant or you know animal wise there's a few plants we can eat raw but you typically most vegetables out there we cook so we can digest them easier so having fire is going to help you and also help clean your water if you haven't don't have a handy supply of fresh water you might be able to take some not so fresh water and purify it with some fire oh yeah yeah uh fourth priority is going to be first aid if you are injured um or you you know well if you're injured you're going to want to find some first aid so you can get yourself back up to a you know functional working status and of course it's going to be depending on your injuries or if your injury is not that bad you know yeah you're going to probably have to take care of these other things first but if you're you know have an active bullet hole in your leg well yeah patch that up then go hunting for the water and shelter but yeah you you need to keep yourself functional in order to survive because if you can't walk it's going to make it harder to do everything else you need to do if you get sick because you ate the wrong berry uh signaling uh for help this is going to be more situational and if you're in a very specific situation where you are lost you are stranded or if you're in a group um you need a way of you know signaling to rescuers or to your to your party that hey i'm over here and i need help um food surprisingly you'd, you'd think it'd be higher on the priority list but truth be told if you know, food is something you can go at at least a day or two without without too much loss of function. You're not going to be happy after a day or two of not food, but you can go quite a long time without food. But you there's really a, there, there's it. a thing of threes I've heard. It has to do with air, water, and food. It's like yeah. three minutes, three hours, three days, or something like that for each for you know. I think that I, I, sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, I um, think so. But yeah, it, it's yeah. There, there's that scale. I, I have to look it up and remember. But yeah, seeing yeah. this as we were reading, I'm like, oh yeah, there's this thing of threes. Yeah, and then the 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 last priority on this list would be like uh, mental attitude um, or morale. Um, once your basic needs are covered, once you have a source of food or a stockpile of food, once you have fire to cook or keep warm. Or just provide light. Once you have water to keep yourself hydrated, once you have shelter to keep yourself, once you have all these other things taken care of, the last thing you're going to want to, to well, I, I won't say the last thing, but the next step is going to be your, your morale or your mental attitude. You're going to want to find ways to keep yourself engaged, keep yourself from getting depressed, um, getting locked or bored even, which, you know, it could be continuously expanding your shelter a lot of this as i'm thinking of these i'm thinking of like the game no man's sky which i recently went back and and played i think at your suggestion bruce Mm -hmm. and yeah it's like once you've built your first little house if you find yourself bored you can just expand on it and add more rooms and yeah same thing here you you can expand your shelter you can find more efficient ways of creating fire or you know finding food anything that can help keep you in a uh active positive main uh mind frame as you're waiting for again for your your rescue or you're waiting to accomplish whatever exploration mission you're on or what have what, you what was that that uh kirk said in star trek 2 first order business survival as he's there eating an apple yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that's the sort of standard wilderness survival priorities is as i've encountered them okay uh interesting um uh yeah i myself would have you know, not had things in the order in which you did, but I'm sure you got that off of some site somewhere. Uh, because yeah, sometimes I, I would have I'm thought the signaling for help would have been definitely lower down than food. 
<laughs> but in, uh, in this case, it's a matter of how long you think. It, and that, yeah, I agree. On this case, in this case, if I think this one is for more of, um, you know, if you're only expecting to be stranded or lost for like a few hours or a day or two if you're already close to civilization so yeah if we're talking about in uh, you're on an entirely separate world yeah signaling for help i would put it lower again unless you have like a group with you unless you're part of a part like a stranded party and then i might still leave it high in case you're splitting up to go accomplish separate tasks okay well let's go ahead and uh address these in order as you listed them, um, and uh, and we're going to talk about. So let's talk about water. All right. So uh, uh, water production. You know, there's a lot of high tech solutions to that. Okay. You know, we're not going to talk about the simple stuff. All right. You know, um, but uh, for example, is is that uh, you know. Some people at home have this thing called a juicer, and uh, the whole idea is to take vegetables um, or fruits and things like that and turn it into a drinkable, you know, by breaking it down. Uh, a lot of plants and uh, things like that can be, uh, you know, can be consumed once you pulp them, okay? Uh, others can be, might have an outer cuticle that you can peel off. So I would say that one of the, one of the ways of getting water, uh, if you don't have it, if you're not carrying it with you, okay, is by pulping plants and extracting the water. Now, obviously, you're going to have to, you know, you might have to do some kind of filtration because, you know, you have to do some kind of testing because, you know, the, the plant may be, in fact, you know, have some uh, poisons in it. So you'd have to check for that. But otherwise, uh, it's, that's a, it's, I think that's a, a really good way to do it because, you know, there's a lot of plants out there that, you know, you, you, you pull a leaf off of a tree and you go say, well, I can't eat this. Okay. But if you were to get like a bushel basket full of it, run it through a grinder, put it through a press, you might be able to get some real water out of that. Yeah. And if you're honestly, if you don't, and again, we are talking about high tech. So we're going to, I would say we can safely assume you have some sort of testing, you know, yeah. kit or, yeah, we or should doc box, that. but but even if you don't, if you get that pulpy sludge, you can put it over a fire and boil off and, you know, keep the steam, distill, distill it into right. what you might hope would be fresh or at least not as potentially dangerous water. Right. Well, distillation is, is, is the safest method, uh, most energy costly, but it is the safest mm -hmm. method of, of getting water because you can uh, di distill, you know, mud you can distill water of any kind. You can distill sap and anything. You can distill blood out of an animal. Yeah. yeah. So your own, if your own urine, if you have to. Well, that would be probably my first choice. That <laughs> <laughs> would be the easiest to obtain. That's for well, sure. Well, yeah. And secondly, is because the first day, you know, is probably going to be pretty diluted. <laughs> All right. You know, every time you see people like, oh, you know, they talk about you know drinking urine and stuff like that. It probably won't. It probably wouldn't be bad the first day, but after that, it gets concentrated. You don't want to do that. But yeah. anyways. Uh, so yeah, I mean, distillation is the best way of doing it. And there's a couple, there's, there's a number of different ways of doing that. One is what you refer to as, you know, use bo basically boiling the, the liquid, you know, run it through a distillation column, you know, the water comes out, you, uh, uh, you go ahead and, um, use something that basically the reverse, a refrigerated, you know, a cool thing. You run water, you run water through just to cool it and it condenses and you get water. Okay. You know, so, um, that's, you know, that ten unless you have a humongous distillation system, uh, that does tend to, um, uh, you know, that tends to be not very quick. Okay. You know, you're lucky if you get like a quarter an hour out of those kind of units. Okay. There's some really huge ones. Of course, you can get much more than that. That's where you go the opposite direction, which is where you use some kind of a filtration system uh, or something. They have what was referred to as reverse osmosis, uh, where you're literally trying to uh, force, you know, things that are not water out of the water, you know, chemically and then uh, and, and mechanically, get, leaving just fresh water, you know, yeah, like pure those, H2O. Um... Like purification tablets and stuff like that. Well, the purification tablets are only to kill bacteria and things like that that might be in the water. They they don't have any pure actual purifying qualities. 
Except uh, I have seen this stuff that supposedly you poured into a glass of muck and all the muck basically it just turns yeah, and it drops to the bottom. Okay, I'm still wondering, you know, I guess I would still want to filter that what was left, you know, through yeah, through some kind of a but it's a good and way I, of getting rid of the really thick stuff out of your your stuff. Yeah, I have to. I think the one I saw was a, uh, somebody used a combination. They used one of those little tablets to to filter the muck down to the bottom of the glass, but uh-huh. then they used one of those survival straws that also has a filter on right. it. Right. Yeah, that I was just going to mention that the straws that have the filter built in, you could like kind of well, if you really had to, like put it into a puddle and drink out of that, and it'll filter all the gunk out so you get reasonably clean water. I remember. Right about those, yeah. The only problem is that they tend to get clogged pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that so doesn't last you long. That's that's unless the, you have a bunch of them with you. Which why? Right, right. So uh, now the uh, oh, uh, one of the reasons you need to do that is because a lot of water has dissolved salts in it, and by that I mean like calcium salts and other things, potassium salts, and. Uh, there was a time when they said, hey, you know, let's, let's get this you know, mineral water and let's drink that. It's really good for you. Turned out it was like really hard on your kidneys. Okay? Yeah. And, and, and people who did it long term ended up coming down with kidney disease. So you know, if you can get some, you know, some of those salts out of your water, then it's good. That's one reason why soft water solutions in homes sometimes isn't so good because they're basically putting salts into the water to basically you know get rid of the hard calcium salts. Okay? Yeah. But you still end up with something salt in your water. It's just not calcium. So well it's where you get that weird smell from well water, even with the my dad's got well, he lives out. Yeah, but but still you you still well water just you're getting yeah, they put purification stuff in and I've seen a filter mm-hmm. that you have to replace. It's kind of it's kind of the same stuff that's like you're opening a diaper. And I'm there at an old girlfriend's house and I'm seeing the dad switches on and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I am never drinking water here. I will bring bottled water. Just <laughs> wow, no. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, anyways, the point is, is that, you know, so to get a really good result, okay, you're going to need a high tech solution. Okay. Usually, you know, and it can involve filters. It can involve uh, actually chemically reacting with certain substances that are in the water. Um, You know, I worked at a laboratory one time and we had to have our water just super, super pure so we could do proper uh, testing on on water off of a uh, uh, mining sites, and so oh. the water that came out of that thing there, you know, you, it it was purer than anything you could you could drink it. It was like drinking nothing. Okay, it literally had no taste at all because there was no minerals in the water. It, it's there's an old saying which is that water tastes like the last thing you you ate or drank because it supposedly doesn't have any taste. But we all know that you know you get water from various sources. It does have a taste. Yeah. So that's because it's of what's dissolved in it, right? Right. So uh, you can get pure, 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 pure water, and that's and that's also important for uh, eliminating acidity and basidity out of the water as well, which can also hurt you because it's you know here's this absolutely pure water and it's got the pH of hydro you know hydrochloric acid. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a, that what's that, Randy? Chat that'll be a no for me, dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so there there are some real uh, really nice uh, solutions like that. Uh, so you can do that. Um, so you know that uh, now, of course, there's also um, you know uh, uh, big rainwater collection systems, uh, especially if it happens on a regular basis. Some worlds or places in the world it rains every day, and so you can collect uh, a lot of fr- you you basically are letting the, the the ecosystem do the distillation for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you basically just collect the water and re- and and refill your your caches and get and keep going and uh, uh, and you know and of course you can also take a shower at the same time. You know, so uh, that's 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 what it was like for a lot of guys that were over in Vietnam. You know, every time it rained, they all grabbed a bar of soap and ran outside and stripped down and soaked up because there was so much water rationing at the actual bases that they couldn't take showers very often. Um, and then let's see here. Um, oh, there, um, I saw this advertised, uh, they, they were doing this as a, 
uh, as a means of basically helping the indigenous people of Mexico. But they had these big um, illuminate, basically they were big illuminated signs, just like we have along our roads now where it's like a television, right? So they have power going to them. But what they do is on the inside area of the, of the sign, because they have two projection things on either side, there's a center frame to hold it up. And what they yeah. put on the inside of it is this condensation system to condensate water out of the air. And it produced a fair amount of water so that the local indigenous people who literally the only water they had was what they were able to, uh, you know, scrape out of a ditch or something like that. Or had, a well, yeah. Well, if you were lucky, I mean, you know, yeah. well, I mean, if the well, you know, it depends on where the uh, water level is. The water level is 50 yeah. feet down. Good luck with that. You know, so uh, especially in, in a lot of these areas were um, desert. So this was one way of providing local indigenous people with lots of water. So uh, I, you know, this would be something more useful at a at a um, at a stationary site. But yeah, once you got your camp and set it up, then you could erect one of these things and start distilling water literally out of the air. And uh, as long as you got ready power, you know, which we'll talk about a little later. Uh, now, you know, we've been talking about science and high tech, but, you know, there's other form, you know, what's what's uh, what's the Clark law, uh, uh, Jonathan? The, Clark, the Clarkian law is uh, any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Right. There's this great spell uh, in, uh, in in fantasy role playing called you know uh, uh, produce uh, food and water or produce water oh, yeah. and you get, and supposedly you get magically pure you know water uh, 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 depending upon how much mana you pump into it you know of, of various amounts um, and so there's uh, and if you happen to have somebody who naturally exudes um, let's say a freezing effect, you know, like a, a like a ice elemental or you know an ice demon or something like that. You know, you might be able to like you know uh, they, they might you might be able to scrape off you know, <laughs> some ice and things like that and let let that warm up and, and and have a ready source of water as they walk around. They're basically collecting water for you. Come here, Fred. I need to I need to scrape you off real quick. I'm thirsty. Well, you could make it nicer. For example, you could uh, they could you could make them wear clothing where the the condensation occurred on the inside layer. You know, clothing that like basically like pumped air through you know through the clothing and so and your body the body of the creature is is free you know is freezing cold so the inside one side of, of the of the channel is cold the other side is warm so therefore you know the air it comes in it uh, either distills because it's basically the same thing as a distillery or um you know it's basically a still suit you know the still suits that they had in Dune. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that they they literally took all of your bodily uh, waste and turned it into p nice pure water supposedly for you to drink and keep going. And uh, literally, people, you know, a, a, a quart of water that you might carry, you know, in a bag in one hand would be enough to uh, support an entire family for a week, you know, outside of what they were all already doing. So I'm just saying is that, you know, there, there's uh still suits as a, as an option, you know, there, there are lots of, uh, person powered, uh, high tech equipment that you could use to provide at least water for yourselves. Recycling all your sweat, all your exhaled breath. But oh, also yeah. if it's if you're in an environment where there is moisture in the air, you could also oh, be yeah. by motion, you could be pumping bellows that could be pulling air in and out and then using some kind of a uh, uh, condenser of some kind to pull that that moisture you know, oh, uh, yeah. out of the air and let you use it. So sure, yeah. All right. Uh, and of course, you know, if you have ice... You have water if you're in the area where if you're in the Arctic. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. If you're okay. in the cold, yeah. Well, let me ask you this, okay? If you're in if you're in the near Arctic, the sub Arctic, okay, and you're walking around, it's a nice warm day, and uh, and there's lots of you know plants growing around and stuff like that, but you're out of water. What's what's the easy solution for you to get water? Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> okay, I I want to say I knew this at one time, but I made me forget because you asked okay you dig down a few feet there's permafrost that's what oh I yeah 
Yeah, the a certain, you know, basically the top layer of soil warms up and grows plants and things like that, but there's always a section below that that, you know, is going to be frozen because it, you know, it does never not enough time ever goes by enough for it to completely unthaw. Okay, so you have this area called permafrost. Uh, and of course, if you keep going down, then eventually it will get warmer. But there's that, that section. So yeah, you can use that cold. Uh, and again, you could use that to, to condense. You, you, all you have to do is you know, drill a hole down through it, to, like two holes, and run a pipe through it, all right? And, uh, uh, and into, a, uh, into a, a, a collector, pull air down, come bring it out the other side. It's going to be freezing cold. Okay, so it's either going to come out the other side as liquid, or it's going to be nearly liquid, and then you just just can it, you know, into something, some container. Uh, it's also a way of producing your heat and cold uh, rather than having to build a fire. Uh, you know, it's uh, using an earth burn method of um, of, of heating and uh, basically uh, modifying the, the ambient temperature by the by what the temperature of the ground is saves millions of dollars in school districts that have used it, you know, where they literally, you know, they, they, they replaced all their gas heaters and things like that with electrical um, heat pumps, but they go, but the, uh, the fluid that they take through the, the, to the various registers throughout the school, okay, they take it and they pump it down into the ground uh, a, a couple hundred feet and then they bring it back up and, it has, you know, uh, uh, or even just the air, you know, uh, and it it has cooled the air to the point where it's no longer 100 degrees, you know, like air conditioning is not, it's now around, you know, 60, 70 degrees. And sometimes you can just blow that in just as is. Uh, in the case of like a liquid, it, it's, you can basically keep it from, if it's freezing cold outside, it's like zero degrees, you can warm you know, that air, that air up to, uh, you know, 60, again, 50, 60 degrees, and then using the heat pump at that point are very efficient. You know, the closer, you know, uh, because the way heat pumps work is, is that they either have to be hotter than the surrounding atmosphere, uh, or they have to be colder. So when it's 100, 100 degrees outside, it's really hard for those heat pumps to get the temperature, you know, get above that so that they can, you know, cool. And when it's zero degrees, it's really hard to get below that so they can heat. So anyways, so running it through something that already has a thermal lag in it is really helpful. So, you know, uh, bringing a drilling rig and drilling a couple of holes like this and running pipes through it is a way of really can make a, make a big difference, make it more efficient, more comfortable. Uh, how many people, have either of you ever saw Mosquito Coast? Heard of it, never saw it. Yeah, okay. Can't say I have. All right. Um, well, it, it had our our uh, uh, our friend from uh, uh, Indiana Jones. Yep. Uh, and, and River Phoenix, I believe. I you could be right. Um, but anyways, he decides that he's going to just throw off civilization, and uh, we're you know we're, the, the, we're all we're all going to blow each other up. He wants to go someplace where it's safe, you know, where he can raise his family, and so he picks like some place in. Mesoamerica, or you know, you know, someplace near like the Amazons, like and, Belize or somewhere. Yeah, well, it's it's on the coast. That's why it's Mosquito oh. Coast. It's not on an island. But uh, anyways, they uh, it's in South America, and uh, he uh, and so he goes down there and he makes friends with a local village of people. Okay, and he proceeds to essentially transform the place using these high-tech solutions. So he, he basically builds a structure, a house, but he covers everything with plastic. And then he takes, he builds himself a ammonia-powered cooling tower, which he then takes the, uh, blows air, or, you know, uh, either passively or actively uh, uh, through it, and basically air conditions his entire house in the middle of the jungle. And and, and this does not use electricity, you know, um, but certainly you could with solar panels and, or, or uh, wind turbines and things like that. So he has this, and, and then he goes and he teaches the natives how to raise fish. You know, he, he takes a certain, makes a little inlet and, and uh, 
nets it off and he puts in some stock with little fingerlings and they start growing fish there and he says okay when they get to a certain size we're going to take them you can first of all you can eat, feed your family and then you can go and take them to the near other nearby villages and sell them for money so you know and and just trying to raise the the culture you know of the entire area the economics because these people were basically living hand to mouth they were one step up from uh primitives uh, indigenous primitives yeah. Uh, now the movie goes terribly off the rails and things end up very badly, but for a, for a shining moment there in the, in the middle of it, it was a really nice place because you had these beautiful mornings in your air conditioned house in the middle of the jungle, you know, with all the pretty flowers and the, the birds and things like that. And all these people basically coming up to you know, and do the equivalent of, you know, you know, you know, Ola El Jefe. Yeah. It's just... He was like a little, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the 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 ideal landowner who has raised, you know, everybody around him to a higher standard of living, and oh, how they love us, you know, right? Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the sociological aspects aside, he did a lot for these people. Okay, and, and when it all goes bad later, of course, it's bad, but. Um, that's because it's a drama, right? You know, <laughs> conflict is good, but you know his his ideas weren't weren't bad in and of themselves. Uh, you know, he, he and and it, you know he he brought high tech solutions to what essentially people would have been out there, you know, trying to live like the natives and and coming down with you know uh, malaria and all these other things like that when there were there were solutions. Okay. So, uh, anyways, so that was uh, uh, that's a that's a great movie to watch as far as seeing somebody really trying to use you know some kind of high tech solution to solve these things without literally bringing your your first uh, first world environment with you like you know the the super truck right right without yeah. having to ship ship it all in yeah yeah ship it all in put it there and you're basically an island surrounded by wilderness right so. Okay. Where you are out there glamping, the term that we used earlier, yeah. Right, right, okay. So um, now you had the, uh, the, the second one was shelter. Like I said, we were just talking about shelter. You know, um, shel I, I, uh, there's a book, um, uh, it was actually a series of three books uh, by Julian May, uh, which went under the name of the Pleistocene Saga, which was a far future where everybody who basically didn't like uh what the uh, powers that be said, um, uh, you know, they, they wanted to be revolutionaries. They said, okay, fine, you, you can leave. <laughs> you literally, we'll send you back, you know, 50 million years and you can live in the ancient past because, um, you know, you're not going to change anything because in 50, you know, any culture, anything that we send back is going to be gone by the time it gets to modern day. So you're not changing the timeline by us doing that. And it's all about the people that, that would rather uh, either were forced to do that or chose to do that because they just didn't want to live in the culture that they were in. But one of the things that they had was inflatable everything. So when they got there, you know, they, they had some little... Pow, you know, uh, power plant that ran a compressor and they literally plugged this thing in and it inflated a house for them. And then they inflated furniture and, uh, uh, you know, they, they probably inflated cars. I don't remember that, but mostly they inflated the houses. All right. So, uh, you just imagine those bouncy houses that, you know, the people show up with, <laughs> except better. And, you know, and it folds, it's basically the size of, uh, I don't know, you know, like a piece of juicy fruit. When it start, it's really super compressed, but wow. it keeps folding and folding. And in the game like Fringeworthy, where you have tamellarum plastic, it could th you know, if it you know it was even when it's ultra thin like like saran wrap, it's still as strong as steel. Yeah. You know, you might. I'm, I'm still I'm still seeing somebody comes in and they look and they found the sofa pop like a balloon. All right, from now on, we all check our pockets to make sure that, yeah. Right. Now, yeah. all this stuff was super tough, so you didn't have to worry yeah, about that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I said, so they literally you opened up this, like, little suitcase, and they had, like, basically their, their encampment. You know, they, they had their... You know, uh, you know, whatever you needed, a wa you know, water, water tower, uh, you know, 
uh, carport, <laughs> whatever, you know, but mostly it was a house, you know, and, and all the stuff that went with it, you know, and uh, they just had to inflate it and just blow it up. And Richard liked that idea. I mean, it, he didn't get it from that, but he liked the idea so much that he had inflatable tents as part of the Fringeworthy game. Ah, yeah. I mean, that that's the thing with you, with the, those air, comp like miniature air compressors now that, you know, are maybe just a little bit bigger than the size of your palm. You know, they sell them at Walmart now. That oh, no, I, I've got one from my old job that it's it's maybe the size of two softballs together and you plug it into your car lighter port. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can blow. I mean, that, and that's like, you know, things meant for like inflatable, you know, pool toys and, yeah. and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But then, yeah. you know, again, I've got a... a a air compressor that I use to fill my, you know, tires on my car yeah. or to fill the soccer balls. And it's, it's maybe the size of a travel bag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Richard actually uh, used CO2. So he used CO2 canisters, which yeah. are, which do yeah. a chemical reaction. Okay. They're not just compressed air. Uh, and, you know, that way, no matter what the environment was, you could basically go out there in your environmental suit, turn this thing, uh, and it would inflate a self-supporting tent uh, and you could also attach a also inflatable uh, airlock to it. Yeah, and yeah, uh, and that, that would yeah. that would be your uh, you know home away from home. You know once you got away from the portal, because obviously you could just go through the portal and you're in you know your 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 back atmosphere you can live in. Okay, but uh, when you start camping, when you start going and traveling. You know, this was one of the main ways that they, they would do these things. And they would also float. So, you know, you could use it as an impromptu raft. Um, you know, it's, I, I mean, there were, there were uh, uh, over the years, you know, of, of playing the game Fringeworthy, they've used those inflatable tents in all kinds of ways. You know, they, 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 uh, they used them to, uh, uh, to make sales. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Actually, yeah. You know, and but it was, uh, but just the, the fact that they they did, you know, they could literally, you know, start it, throw it out, okay, through the portal, you know, uh, or throw it out of the vehicle and just let it build itself up, and then you know they could then get out of the vehicle, go into the airlock, and uh, and get inside of it, uh, without having to do the whole process of having to put it together, because back when yeah. Richard was first doing this sort of thing. You know, the way people put, they, they didn't have self-supporting or self-assembling tents. You know, the ones where you literally just put a couple of things and they pop up. They're called pop-up tents. Those yeah. did not exist. Yeah. Okay. You had yeah, to take. Yeah, the 80s, no. No, yeah, you had to take poles and stick them together and slide them, you know, through oh, through stay, you know, through various loops and things like that. And then once you got it up, you had to pound things into the ground and yep. bring lines down to it. You know, it, it was a you know, you, if you were done that, not fun. Uh, it takes a about a half hour to to properly put uh, up a tent. Yeah, okay, yeah. so having something that that would that would literally inflate itself. And then at which point you just go and grab some gear and go into the airlock and go inside and, and spend your time, set, you know, putting down your... Because, of course, this is it's inflatable. Uh, it it also acts as an air mattress. It would be part of it, you know, where you're laying down. So you get this nice, soft thing to lay on, and you don't have to worry about rocks poking up through. And it's, you know... It, it's it, it sounds like an ideal solution to the whole camping aspect of it. You know, I, I think I think I had seen something, and it was the whole tent camping thing. Uh, we have friends up here in Michigan, and they're part of the fandom. They've got property up in Standis, Michigan, which again, here in Michigan, you could sit there and you know hold up your hand for the Lower Peninsula. So it'd be about where your index finger, second knuckle, and it's out in the wilderness. And I see this person, and it it's one of those pop up tents where literally this person through the tent and it was kind of like a really big frisbee that they stored in the back of a pickup truck and literally as soon as they hit the ground just bang everything sprouted up it's this geodesic dome and water resistant material and just springs up and they just you know use stakes to keep it on the ground and i'm just looking i look back at my tent the girlfriend at the time and i just point <laughs> really <laughs> So that that was cool, and it's all just plastic bars and metal hinges and bolts, and yeah, but it looked like a giant cloth and metal-lined Frisbee, and it sprung up into a two-person tent. Yeah. And yep. just, I was blown away because I hadn't been tent camping before. I'm like, this is here? This is a thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, pop-up tents are nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
and uh, and they come in all sizes. They, I mean, they can come in two, you know, one man little little pop ups all the way up to something that you know is this equivalent of a living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to use the term from an old girlfriend of mine. For me, camp roughing it means room service isn't open 24 hours a day at the hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah my wife, me. my wife's I'm, the same way. <laughs> yeah. Just the, the people that can go out and rough it and get the and hike and the campsite, I have more power to you folks. Just I just yeah, no. <laughs> I, I love I love doing that for like a, a a night or even a weekend. In fact I'm actually going camping this weekend. I'd planned wow. to I had planned to do it last weekend, so as like, you know, research for this podcast, but we had to reschedule, so I won't be able to do it till this weekend. But yeah, we're gonna go camping this weekend and yeah, he, the guy I'm going camping with, he's very much the the rough it kind of guy and i was surprised when he said oh, i got iron pans now and iron skillets now and i'm like "Ooh, we are are we getting soft <laughs> we're, we're bringing in silverware and cookware and cookware. yeah yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm known for cooking over the fire without actually using like you know uh like a gas you know, uh, gas stove. Oh, we got cowboy Kent yeah. Rollins over here on YouTube, the cowboy cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> With the well, Dutch oven over the fire and yeah. Right. Well, you know, it, it, it's, again, yeah, you know, if you're talking high tech here, you know, of course, high tech also means lighter materials. Yeah. You know, there are, there are plastic, uh, thermal, thermal plastic cookware that literally, you know, it, it's, they're a lot lighter than, than iron and maybe they're not quite as conductive, but you know, you can cook on them in an open fire or whatever, you know, and it's a, it's a solution. You're sitting there looking at that, at their backpack and seeing their mess. Is that T-Fowl? What the, you know, got Teflon on your, you know. No, it just, I, I, when we, we said we were doing this, I'm like, yeah, when was the last time I was camping? Yeah, 20, 2012. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, you know, the, uh, you know, you, you don't have to go that low, you know. Uh, some of the other things that you're, you can do now that you couldn't do before is, is that you can actually 3D print your, your, your structures, your campsite, whatever you want to do. Okay. They have, they have these, uh, things that literally print buildings out of liquid concrete. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They look like complicated, you know, rough igloos, but no, not all of them. Well, not all of them. No, no. But the, the, the ones I'm thinking of. Yeah, they, they just kind of lay it down. But, yeah, I know I, I have seen others that they, they make them. Yeah. Oh, my God. What is the name of uh, uh, Desert Vegas? Yeah. Burning Man. Okay. They got all sorts of that stuff. It, it's like this giant desert city every summer. Mm-hmm. There's right. like three hundred and it, it, it has to be something that can be broken down at the end, too. You can't. Yes. You leave nothing behind is the idea. But. But yeah, folks, um, old girlfriend of mine, her and her husband now, they go every year and just, I'm looking at the aerial pictures and I'm like, this is a city. They build up like, you know, little general stores and everything where you can get stuff and it's like Mm -hmm. a half circle out in the desert and just, yeah. And they come up with all sorts of unique stuff to build their domiciles for the week or two that they're out there. And just, I I mean, uh, let's see, uh, my friend Davros, uh, that would be the old girlfriend's husband now, building with PVC pipe and tarps and stuff and made a geodesic dome about the size of a small bungalow Mm -hmm. and so just yeah they they get crazy with this stuff at burning man and just yeah jfgi folks look it up and they'll have pictures of the stuff that they made yeah i i I know a guy who who made a tent out of a parachute okay it's reasonably decent material yeah yeah it's 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 strong you know rips up nylon and all that and he he basically just had all these poles and he made grommets and a a ring all the way around the the top of it um and he, he did have to you know take lines down to I mean, he could have dug a hole and then just made it self-supporting that way, you know. Yeah. But he took lines down to pegs around the outside of it, like a like a normal tent you might expect. But uh, the fact is that because parachutes are designed for the top to have openings in it, meant yeah. that any like when he when he built a fire inside the tent, it was not it wasn't a problem with the heat rising, you know. So yeah. the air would come in and. It looked it looked very different than everybody else's tent. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. You know, so uh and when he was done, he literally just uh uh he he just had to just pull you know, you know, uh pull up those posts, which I think were they were freestanding because he was using the uh tension just down to the the ones uh the pegs in the ground. 
Um, and you just may pull up the pegs all the way around. The whole thing would fall over. He just pull those out, stick them in the back of his truck, roll uh, roll up the uh, uh, the parachute, stick it into a fifty gallon trash trash can with a lid, you know, with with the, and throw the ropes in on top of it that he used for the guide wires, and his you know, he was ready to go home. It was, you know, and, and the inside of that thing was like a 20 foot, at least 20 foot wide circle. So he had plenty of space in there. But uh, back to the, um, uh, uh, the the printable housing, okay? You see, you can make your housing follow the, uh, you know, the, the, the shape of the land, okay? One of the biggest problems about tents and things like that is you're like, okay, I got to find this flat spot, okay? A flat spot that is, you know, isn't too, isn't a problem. But, you know, uh, if, if, but if it isn't like that, if there's like, you know, if it's hilly or if there's a, a slope or if it's a little too wet, uh, then something where you could literally could just, you know, have the outside of your house follow the contours of the land because you're printing it as you go along, you know, allows you that kind of flexibility, you know, that you wouldn't have had otherwise. You can even add, you know, add a foundation, add a floor if you if you need a level surface yourself. Yeah. Right. You do that, you know, and, and of course, you know, you, you, it's really, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna print over it, you just you know stick some at certain times, just lay down like you know uh, pipes and things like that to have to come through it, and then you just print over top of it. So you know, it's it's uh, as long as you have like a, a ready source of this material. You know, and if, for example, you were in a desert environment where you've got lots and lots of sand, you know, it, uh, and and if you dug down, let's say, uh, you know, 10 feet and you found a good water supply because that's where the water table was, you're in a lot of, you know, you're in business. You know, the one downside about that sort of thing is, is that you basically are accepting whatever is on the inside of your perimeter, okay? You know, whatever plants are there, you're going to have to deal with whatever insects or animals that might be living inside that, you got to deal with that also. So uh, you might need to, like, build your house and then drop a, a, a super bug bomb into it to <laughs> yeah. kill any, any um, yeah. you know, things that might be living in there, you know, because... <laughs> um, that you know that that's always the problem about setting up any kind of a of a thing. You can't do what they did in uh, Avatar Two, the Way of Water. Anybody seen that? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Well, uh, when the humans come back to Pandora, they basically do a scorch earth solution. They come in with the uh, with all their fusion drives running, and they land and they just keep them going, and they basically burn an enormous area. Of, of Pandora to cinders, you know, to nothing. And at which point they then, you know, get out and uh, build a city, the human city. So that's a, that may not be the solution you're looking for for your high-tech camping, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and especially if you're traveling because, you know, the natives, you know, the, the intelligent natives may not like it. They certainly didn't like it on Pandora, but, uh, you know, they, they had missiles and tech and things like that, so. yeah. All yeah. the more reason to, to have shelters to protect you from the irate natives. Well, yeah, definitely shelters <laughs> are a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, now the, what I just talked about is, you know, I don't know if you've seen any of the, the YouTube videos where some guy goes and takes a, uh, takes a knife and a stick and he basically builds himself a, you know, a, a, a five story uh, building you know, and uh, including swimming pool and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah those are fake. I, I saw. Well, yeah, that that, that they're, they're they're they're. But there is a YouTuber out there. I can't remember. I think I want to say something along the lines of Bronze Age Tech or something like that, who does build shelters with, uh, like, yeah, again, nothing but like a knife. But he, his are much more realistic. They're just little lean tos or, or small little cabins that. So yeah. And he, sh he shows you every step of the way right. and everything. Well, the, but the, yeah, you see those ones where there's like it's like a mansion, and they've done it. In, you know, the video says they did it in five days. Well, that's like that. that's a lie. But yeah, okay. Yeah. But uh, but the problem I always have with those, okay, those things is is that it never seems to consider the things that are living in the in the area, okay? Because you know most of them are like dug into the ground, you know. Uh, and, uh, and, or into a hillside or something like that. So, you know, uh, where are all the bugs, you know, that are going to just, 
come in. I mean, look, you just gave them this great place to, to live out of the rain. You know, maybe they like that. All the snakes that are going to come in and start swimming around in your pool. Well, they don't worry about it because they just promptly abandon them and leave them on this guy's property. Because, yeah, there, there's a video that showed how they work. And, yeah, you can see all the – there's a – somebody did a, a drone flyover of whoever's property this is in, in South America, I think. And, yeah, you can see all the abandoned <laughs> constructions they did, all the abandoned mansions they did. And, and yeah, the, the, the jungle's already reclaiming half of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's a constant thing. So you, your high tech, you know, that's why high tech solutions are sometimes better because um, there's a lot of high tech materials that do not interact with the native, you know, plants with the native animals and things like that. So, uh, but uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, after that came fire. Uh, but anyways, like I said, is you know the the uh, uh, back to the shelter. Of course. You know the the uh, the giant land uh, the land trains. Those are great. You know if you're someplace where you can use them, okay? Because you have everything you want inside of it. It's like, it's like a it's a it's a basically a giant tour bus, okay? And you have all oh, of the okay, high tech yeah. stuff you could possibly want. You just roll along, and uh, I guess. You know, either people on the outside have to cut the trees out of the way, or uh, they uh, they have something that cuts the trees down, and they have enough clearance to roll over them. I don't know, uh, but they do. You know, and or you know, uh, I've I saw a, a show one time where they used a uh, uh, they used a hovercraft to basically go all the way up the uh, uh, the Amazon River, and they they would fly. You know, they they would go and beach themselves off on, you know, some some bank somewhere, you know, and pick those up the next morning and keep on going. So, uh, and, and they had everything they wanted inside their thing. And, and basically when it lowered itself down, it, it basically acted as like a perimeter. And, uh, you know, except for having to work, any issues they had with uh, the bugs, uh, they were they were pretty you know safe there, and they had everything they needed, all the equipment they needed, the the water purifiers. Of course, there's a river right there, uh, you know, and um, everything was being powered by generators and such. So it's uh, I'm sure they must have you know, and and that's we'll have to talk a little bit more about you know like like supplies and things like that. But uh, let's go on to your list here. Fire. Okay, so uh, I was really kind of surprised about the fire because you know. Uh, Fire, generally speaking, is one of those things that most people tell you don't do fire because it, A, attracts the wrong attention, B, it tends to go out of control, um, C, it's, it's, it's really inefficient and it uses a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of resources in order to keep it going. But, you know, I mean, yes, it does provide, you know, warmth, light. You know, um, all those all those things that I just mentioned as a negative, some people might say they're a positive, like you, right, Jonathan? It depends on the situation, but yeah. And that's the thing, is like, if we're talking high-tech, you probably have a means of providing all the benefits of fire without actually having fire. You, you probably have some means of producing warmth, and you probably have means of producing light, and you probably have a way of cooking or at least purif purifying food, solid food. Yeah. Without needing to, you know, actually spark a flame. Right. Because, you know, like the Inuits would say, fire, why don't you just wear clothing? <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, in their houses would be about like freezing, you know. I mean, not, not, I'm not talking about the ones where, you know, the, the, you, you go under the ground and up inside of it. Where, and, and even then they use blubber uh, lights to keep it warm, you know, and they, they would literally sleep in the nude in there. But I'm just saying, is it the ones that are outside that were built like huts? Okay, the inside of those where they just, they literally lived, you know, um, it, it tended to be in the winter, of course, it tended to be about zero degrees. And then when summertime came, they just took off all those furs and just keep living where they were. So, uh, you know, heating a space is kind of a, very, a luxury that we in the first world, you know, uh, get to enjoy when we're not going out and actually camping. Because, you know, when you're... Uh, I, I just I just say when I go camping with the Boy Scouts and stuff like that, we don't you know fire is nice, but it's there more for cooking uh, and for uh, aesthetics than for warmth. Okay, yeah. 
uh it's it's uh you know it's there you know it's nice when you get up in the morning you go out there stand next to the fire feel the heat on you like that but while you're doing that somebody is cooking breakfast okay that's what the fire is really there for you know and everybody you have to go through all kinds of things to go and and make sure it's out before you leave because you don't want the last thing you ever want to do while you're you're camping is suddenly find yourself in a in a uh uh, a forest fire of your own making. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and there's lots of there's lots of great insula- uh, uh, insulating products. Now, one thing that I thought was going to really you know was was going to be a big deal didn't turn out that way. You know, uh, way way back in the '70s, there was a company called Warmlight uh, that came out with what they called the no sweat shirt, and this was ripstop nylon that was aluminized. Luminized. I'm not sure that's a word. Aluminum on one side of it. Uh, and the idea was is that it was completely impervious to vapor leaving. And so you'd put it on and you'd seal it up around your neck and around your wrist and, of course, tuck it into your, your pants. And because your body would basically warm, it has a vapor you know, layer next to it you know, to keep to keep your skin moist and such. And, you know, and normally it flows away from you because heat rises and wind blows on it and carries it away. Then you have to heat it again, all right? It says, but if you wear this, you know, uh, and the aluminized part was supposed to reflect your body heat back at you. And the fact that the vapor couldn't get away, so you were just heating it right next to your body. Uh, and the nylon wasn't a very good conductor of heat, like when wind blew against it. It, it. They said, you don't have to wear a parka. You can just wear this shirt. And I can tell you that I did that. And it did work, except that wherever the wherever the no sweat shirt touched you, it was kind of clammy. I mean, like icy clammy because it was wintertime. But they had, uh, uh, they, they did, uh, uh, they, they, they had no sweat tents where they illuminized the inside the same way with, you know, and they had sleeping bags the same way to make them supposedly ultra thin. But it never turned out to be a big thing. Everybody just, you know, I don't, I'm not sure why it wasn't a bigger thing. It, I guess they just, maybe they just couldn't convince people that it was true. I, to me, I think it's two possibilities. It, it could have been it was just too expensive. They couldn't get the cost of it down. It wasn't that expensive. It, was it wasn't that expensive? It was 10 times less expensive than a down uh, parka. Oh, wow. Okay. And that could be part of it. Like I'm saying, is that, you know, nobody was like, you, you walk in with this this goose down, Canadian goose down parka, and, it, and it was like three inch loft, and everyone's like, ooh, you have such excellent gear. Meanwhile, I come in wearing this ripstop nylon with an inside layer of this aluminum, and they go, huh? I guess my other question would be is if it got too too hot because it sounds to me that that might be a very very effective insulator and I know I, I think I'm from well, I can't say I know but I, from what I remember I think I, I read somewhere that the human skin tends to feel more comfortable and to thermo, uh, regulate our, our temperature best when the outside temperature is about 70 some odd degrees even though the human body itself runs around 90 95 94 95 but the skin works best when you know the air around it is around 73 so it sounds to me that if this is such a good insulator it could have easily gotten where it got too hot inside the thing and you start to well, feel if that was actually a problem you could just you know uh, take you know t- <laughs> open yeah, it up a little thing. bit you open it up in a little bit and, 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 so, and, yeah. and the vapor comes out you know seeps out or whatever yeah it wasn't like yay uh my process worked uh, <laughs> I guess it might be the thing if it how un, how much of a pain it was to do that, but yeah, again, this yeah. is all guessing. I never I never wore one myself, so yeah. I can't make a call. I mean, I it, it basically cost me twenty five dollars for this thing, okay? And I'm telling you that like you know, uh, parkas were going for like five, six, eight hundred thousand dollars, you know, because especially what? The, I, I'm talking about the Canadian Goose Down ones, okay? You know, now everybody else was wearing, you know, was using the um, uh, fiberfill kind of ones that went for like, you know, 50 to 100 bucks. What I'm saying is that it was still considerably cheaper and lighter, okay? I mean, granted, you wanted your, you know, your parka to be like really light because, you know, uh, and, but you see, the parkas had the, had the problem that your, your, you know, your moisture from your skin would go out into the parka and it would condense in the parka. 
And so it gets over time, it would get cold. It, 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 you know, it would be less effective because the down would go down and the parka would get, you know, more and more heavy because you're condensing moisture into it. While this thing was completely impervious to moisture, I mean, you know, you took it off and it was, you know, uh, it was just, like I say, it was like a, it was a layer of ripstop nylon with aluminum, you know, aluminum coating on it. Uh, so it was, it was always very, very light. <laughs> so, you know, the, what I'm trying to say here is that I think that maybe their concept was a little was a little bit too hard for people to believe. You know, that it, that it might have been 100% true, but people just wouldn't, it didn't follow the common, what would be considered to be the common wisdom. It, it defied belief. Yeah. It didn't look like it should be warm. So yeah. basically there was, a be warm. there was a collective, nah. Yes, yeah. I really yeah. think so. This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.